Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WindDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that WindDaily Sports doesn't just cover golf. They cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. WindDaily Sports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in Win Big or Green, you will get one week free of WindDaily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week for all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA DraftCast, where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page and make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA DraftCast. Let's do it right now. PGA Nation. We are back and i'll preface by saying i will spend very little time recapping the most boring open that's ever happened with the most boring winner listen i like brian Harmon. congrats he played great he deserved the win all that but like it was boring and there was the least entertaining major championship in some time um but good for brian Harmon. he won we're on to the next with the 3M Open. Off to Minnesota. A lot of travel, but most of these guys, most of the big names, did not make the trip. Spence, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I would be doing a lot better if it wasn't a boring tournament and Jason Day would have actually been in contention with his second place finish and, you know, not six shots off the lead or whatever it ended up being. And, I was disappointed that I did not have a Brian Harmon ticket. I feel like I've been on him the entire year. My model loved him last week. He had him inside the top five in all the weighted scrambling that I ran. The reason why I didn't get there is he didn't necessarily have any of those high-end metrics that I was looking for to actually win the contest. And, you know, it's a wild statement to make that if somebody was to win by six, you know, I don't think Brian Harmon would be the first name that you would think of there. And, um, it's just one of those weeks, unfortunately, to where I didn't get there in the outright market after being on him the entire year. But it was an okay betting tournament. Like, I think from DraftKings, played a lot of Brian Harmon, uh, had tons of Jason Day. The DraftKings week was one of the better ones I've had in quite some time. From a betting perspective, um, it obviously hurts when a player that you want to back or you backed a lot, you don't get on the card. But as I always say, weeks are made up a lot more than just the outright bets that come in. I had a good in-tournament matchup market. Uh, I had a good exposure to Max Homa over Justin Thomas in a head-to-head wager. There was a lot of good that happened in that tournament, but you know Brian Harmon winning it wasn't one of the things that benefited or helped me any. I, I agree. I think similar to you, I played a lot of Harmon in DFS. I, I be honest with you, I didn't think he was going to win the tournament. I thought he'd have a good week. I thought he was a good value at his price. But Dave and I were talking before the show. I was surprised none of us drafted him. He did undrafted, which at his price tag, the form that he was in. That was surprising. David, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm very surprised to hear that Spencer is in the millionaire after that tournament because Brian Harmon winning and Jason Day second seems like the perfect recipe for a, a very good um, week for Spencer. Um, yeah, a little, little frustrating. I mean, I think the good things from that was that um, in terms of like my preview, we had all the right elements to make that selection. I was very, very heavy on driving accuracy for that tournament. Brian Hyman's one of the most accurate drivers um, on the PGA Tour. And the course comps were, like, perfect. Um, we put out TPC um, Sawgrass as one of the key comps for what the course was going to play like. Brian Hyman's got an excellent record there. Honda Classic was one of our strongest links as well. And Sepp Struck has won that tournament and finished fifth in the last two two years as well so some sort of like obscure course comps that were given out in that article ended up actually being kind of perfect for what the recipe ended up being um in terms of my tickets i mean um some of the long shot dp world tour guys really came through matthew jordan was um 200 to 1 um selected him he finished 10th and was um, a bit of a hometown hero there and then matthew southgate was right there um for the majority of the tournament as well he ended up finishing in the top 40 but he was 11th at the halfway stage and he was 500 to one pre-tournament so there's always some great value um in those links tournaments when you can get some of these link specialists coming through um but in terms of the main outrights max homer was the leading chance um and shane lowry just continues to to break my heart man that guy is just such a heartbreaker i think if he'd made the cut i would have been about 25 percent for six of six lines which would have been um a very very good week ended up being about 10 percent because um of the the irishman just forgetting how to play golf again 
Yeah, you know, well, Lowry seems a little bit lost right now, but um, Brian Harmon's taking this week off. He's drinking out of the Claret Jug, enjoying himself. Good for him. He deserves it. But Sepp Strzok is not. He was right there. Played a great week in golf. He's in this field. His price is, his price is up, as it probably should, as it definitely should be. It's, it's, it's fair. But I think it makes for some interesting decisions we're going to have to make, especially tonight on the draft catch, which we'll get into in just a minute. But before we do so, Spence, hit us with the course breakdown. What are you looking for at TPC Twin Cities this week? I thought tournament founder or tournament director Hollis Kavner described the venue best when he called it birdies and train wrecks. That's essentially what you get out here. 15 holes will see water come into play. That makes the course the highest penalty property on tour when looking into the 303 water balls that occurred last year. Uh, Obviously that answer starts pushing you in the direction to believe like, you know, a single digit winner could be possible, but there are still ample opportunities available if you can avoid disaster with all the traps present. Uh, three of the four par threes do stretch between uh, beyond 200 yards. Uh, the par fives yield the most robust opportunities, ranging between a 36.4% to 51.1% birdie or better rate. I will say the 18th hole is a really fun one because uh, just as easily as somebody can make eagle there, they can also make double bogey. I think that's going to be something that decides this tournament late. Uh, the par fours generate this eclectic mix that will see five of the better possibilities coming between. 379 to 424 yards. Obviously, like some any course that has some challenge to it, and we're going to get some challenge here. It's still a birdie fest at the end of the day, but you do have six par fours that ramp up the difficulty to the tune of each one of those ranking inside the nine most difficult at the venue. I think if you're modeling par four scoring as a whole, I would be cognizant of looking at both short par four scoring where birdies are easy to come by, and then the medium length formidable setups here, but... Uh, For me, this is essentially a ball strikers course. You get a dispersion of scoring increase off the tee of 4.4%. Approach better is that at 6.1%. I think that combination is going to outweigh any of your menial short game metrics. Uh, That's going to render this reduction that dictates finding fairways and greens if you want to succeed. But, um, you know, it's it's a weird tournament where I don't know if either one of you guys want to add anything to that. But um, it's a venue that is weirdly placed on the map in a tournament that is essentially a birdie fest at the end of the day, which trouble that looms here. I don't know how much I love it anytime that water comes into play. And I made this argument on a show earlier, like an 18 inch miss is just as penal as an 18 yard miss because you're at the bottom of the water there. So, you know, I'd rather there be true punishment that comes into play rather than like you get a bad break and the ball goes trickling into the water I think that it kind of amplifies the volatility anytime that you get that answer that comes into play. But I I can tell you this from a DFS answer, a lot of ownership landing in the same spots. And if you can find a way to get unique and different, very interesting tournament to potentially have some big upside here. I do have one question for you before we get into the draft. How much are you waiting? How much are you putting into course history this week? Very small. I mean, like from an when you look at it compared to other courses, it's as about as small as you can find. It doesn't mean that there's not certain players that have found success, but it's about as small as I will attach it in my model. It uh, it essentially got cut by half of what I usually weigh it. And they've only actually played a few tournaments here to begin with. It's not like there's that much history to go off of. But there's something to think about, something I was looking at as well. But let's get right into the draft. Audience, your trusted partner, Sia, couldn't make it tonight. It's just the three of us, so you're drafting your own team. However, I would be remiss if I didn't give you a big congratulations for a big win at the Open Championship. You guys drafted a great team last week. Really was lights out. So I went ahead and awarded you the very first pick on tonight's draft. Audience, you will be going first, followed by me, Spencer. David will be going last. And it's a snake, of course, so David will go twice and come back. For anyone who... Might be new to the show. An explanation of how it works. It's just like your typical fantasy football draft. We're doing a snake draft, but you do have to stay within the DraftKings salary. So you can't just take all the best players. You do have to draft accordingly to make sure that you have enough money to draft a full roster. Audience, start getting your nominations in because you are officially on the clock. And audience, following up a spectacular draft last week after getting a win, you already got your first pick in, which, you know what? I, I couldn't be prouder of the audience. You guys have carried this show 
for some time and you're continuing to do so with a great first pick in Seth Straka. Before we move on to your second pick, uh, we'll start with you, David. What do you think of the Seth Straka pick going first overall? Yeah, really, really like Sep Straka this week. Um, look, don't don't forget this guy is absolutely determined to make the Ryder Cup team this year, and I think he is going to be be on it. I called that before um, his John Deere Classic win recently, but he's in excellent, excellent form. Um, the the thing I like with Straka this week um, is his approach play. This this course has a disproportionate number of shots between 150 to 200 yards and is the highest rated course for approach shots from 175 to 200 yards. Straka rates out very, very well in those approach metrics and he's in excellent form and I would not be surprised whatsoever if he's um, lifting the trophy by the end of it. We put him up at 35 to 1 on open. He's already been cut into 25, so can't justify it now. His price has reduced 30%, but I think it was a great bet at 35 to 1. Yeah, I agree. I think Shaka's a great pick this week. You know, not only is he, is he obviously playing great golf, it's also a watered down field. You know, he's not even playing against the biggest names. It doesn't seem like a really good spot for him. I think my only like slight concern is you know, <laughs> he's not Tiger Woods. How many weeks in a row is he going to top two, right? Or top five a tournament? Um, I still think he, he can get a good result even without top five in or whatever. So Shaka, I think, is, is still a solid pick. Uh, for my first pick, I'm going to start with value here. For me, my strategy is I think there's plenty of guys at the top that I'd be happy with landing. And if you guys end up taking maybe the guy I would have taken first, I'll get another guy I like toward the top. So I'll wait there. One of the value picks I really like this week who's been playing really well is Doug Gim. Uh, and Doug Gim's a guy who I normally don't like. He's not a guy I go and play a lot. But I think this course should suit him. He's very accurate off the tee. He should find a lot of fairways here. His ball striking has been excellent. You know, the biggest concern with Gim is his putter. He's shown some improvements this season with the putter. I think he can find a good putter here on this course. And if he does, I think he can compete to win the whole tournament. Uh, Spence, how about you? Are you looking at Gim at all this week? Yeah, I, I guess the only downside that I would give to the answer, he's going to be very popular. Just something to keep in mind. But uh, 20th overall in my model. I think my model is one of those. Like it's, I almost say this every single week and. I went through this like six to eight months ago where I, I actually think I picked Doug Gim every single tournament and it blew up in my face a lot. But Gim seems to have found something here uh, if you ignore the miscut that he had uh, in his last start. Um, obviously, the 26th at the John Deere, the 33rd at the Rocket Mortgage. Back-to-back top 15 at the Travelers in the RBC Canadian Open. Great ball striker. A uh, lot to like about him statistically. Fair enough. I love it. All right, Spence, you're on the clock. I don't know if this was the route I was going to go. I was going to go something much more extreme here and kind of, I don't want to say just go out of control with my first pick and just create this wild draft, but I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to hope that I don't get sniped on either end by David or yourself here uh, with what I'm going to do, but I am just going to make this very simple. I'm going to go to the top of the board and I'm going to take the golfer that I think is the most likely person to win and lock him in and Cameron Young at 10,900. I've been a very big proponent of Cam Young this entire season. Obviously, he had that really weird middle of the season where everything fell apart for him. He talked about having an illness. He lost a bunch of weight. I think he was unlucky in a lot of the situations that occurred for him. He mismarked his ball at the PGA Championship. He then imploded by uh, having to take a pet after he took a penalty there. I think there's been bad luck in a lot of those situations, but... If we're saying, or if I'm saying, I guess, in a lot of these ways that some of these short game metrics get reduced and now all of a sudden we're talking about a ball strikers course where his distance is going to play, uh, the weight of proximity that he has makes a difference. He's inside the top five of my model for total driving, even with some of the erratic nature that he does have off the tee with the water. I really like Cameron Young's upside. Like this is the tournament to me if he ever does, you know, if he's going to win one, it's kind of like the perfect venue that he puts the pieces together in. If we're directly comparing him just because of the price tag here, and I didn't need to do this with my first pick, I assume he would have gotten to me even if I got him at my last pick, but I see like 11% ownership right now. If you're directly comparing that to a lot of the guys in the section next to him, like it's next to Finau, but it's below most everybody else. But I think Young is the legitimate favorite in this tournament. It's interesting. The most interesting thing I thought you just said was you assumed he would have gotten to you with your last pick. The reason I found that interesting was because I thought I was going to be able to get him later in the draft 
and that's why I didn't take him first. And the fact that you took him first and I was planning to take him later tells us we all kind of, I think we both really like him and it was good and smart of you to go get him because he wouldn't have been there for your last pick. David, what say you? Do you like Henry Young this week? I do. I mean, look, he, he's going to be able to take advantage of the par five. So I think that's really key for scoring as been throughout line during his course breakdown. Um, and any concerns with accuracy, bear in mind, a lot of these, these golfers are going to be clubbing down off the tee with, with water and play on 15 of the holes. So um, I think that's an advantage for him. Um, the, the only other course other than TPC Twin Cities that has the highest number of shots from 175 to 200 yards is the Honda Classic again. So Seb Stark is a great pick, but then Kevin Young finished 16th there in his only appearance. So um, some decent correlation there too. I love it. I love it. All right, David, you got two here. Who are you looking at? Yeah, well, if I'm targeting that key um, approach set of 150 to 200 yards, at the moment on the PGA Tour, that list reads, um, this is for anyone who has more than 100 strokes recorded, Xander Schauffele in first, in second, Ricky Fowler, in third, Scotty Scheffler, and in fourth, Emiliano Grillo, who will be my first pick, who has finished here second and third so obviously has great history and I think it has a lot to do with that approach range the biggest thing for me is that ever since March is his putter's been absolutely on fire and that's not typically what we see with him um so his putter's suddenly come alive it's only a matter of time before he um secures another victory and I think it could well be this week here um a lot of correlations six last week at the the open championship and he just absolutely killed it with the ball striking there as well um another if we're looking at team no putt um, smashing it on approach and driving um, and strokes gained off the tee and then not being able to putt whatsoever. Gary Woodland is the top of that list for me. Really like the fact he's going to be able to take advantage of all those par fives. Um, again, rates out very, very well in um, in that approach bucket. And then I, I only have him at like 12.5%. He's one of the lowest rated in the 9K range for ownership for me, which um, I found very, very surprising because he's been backed in, in markets from 40s um, to as low as 30s and 28s in places. No, I think, you know, especially Grio. I think the point you made is the reason I like Grio a lot too this week. He's always been a good ball striker, especially when he's hot. You can rely on his ball striking, but you're always questioning and kind of, his putter and like can he get there can he make enough putts to compete and over the last couple of months he's been consistently putting pretty well and so if you have a consistent putter from him with match with that ball striking this seems like a spot where he can go out and potentially win another tournament uh marrying those two how about you spence i think gary woodland if we're talking ownership here of players nine thousand dollars and above is probably the best pivot option that you can find on the board. There's going to be a lot of popularity and it doesn't mean you're going to have to pick and choose your spots. There's going to be a lot of popularity with Grio and Straka and Aberg and, you know, whoever else you want to name in that group. But I think Gary Woodland is every bit as good of a play, even if we're not talking about ownership there. And now all of a sudden, if you add, you know, half the ownership on Woodland, I'm very intrigued of what he's going to be able to put together this week. It kind of goes to the same sentiment that I talked about with Cameron Young to where if, all of a sudden, some of these short game numbers are getting reduced and we're just talking about pure ball strikers that are good total drivers of the ball. That's the Gary Woodland recipe that you're always looking for for him to win a golf tournament. That's it. You're right. I like the way Gary Woodland's been playing too. Um, I would have preferred Woodland in the 8K range here. You really have to spend up with him at 9-2, but I like the way he's playing. I do certainly think he has enough upside to play at that price tag. So to your point, with the ownership with it, I think uh, I think it's a good pick. Um, all right, Spencer on the clock. So I don't think anybody would have done this either, but I'm just going to make it a different board for the audience and Joel here. Um, kind of put them in a different range if they're going to have to make their choices here. I'm going to take Sung J M at 10,300. It's kind of a very similar answer to young where I don't know what went wrong with Sung J. All of a sudden he went back to his country. He wins a golf tournament and then he fell apart there for a really long time period. But Really good course history uh, in his two appearances here in the four years it's been held. Second last year, 15th in 2019. I think anytime we talk about total driving, obviously he's going to look good in a model, but just pretty much across the board, like on the difficult scoring holes, he is third for me at uh, TPC Properties. He's second inside of my model. The weighted scoring has him inside the top 10. Um, 
I just think there's a lot to like about him. Maybe the weight of proximity would be the one downside that I could add to the mix to where he's outside the top 45 for me, but I think it's a nice spot. And, you know, I, I agree with Joel's original answer of this. There's a lot of names to pick. I, like, I don't think that by me taking these two players off, and I don't even know if Sungjae was an option that anybody would have taken, but there's other places for everybody to go here. But I, I do think there's a specific way to build lineups this week that you can get unique and different. And to me, Sungjae and Cameron Young is not the prototypical start that most people will take but there's a lot of upside in those two names. And I think I can still find a way to get unique at the bottom here. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I'll highlight when thinking about ownership, it's important to realize that doesn't mean you have to fade the chalkiest guys. It just means if you're playing the chalkiest guys, you got to get different elsewhere. So, you know, if the guys are the chalkiest players of the week, there's a reason for it. There's probably a reason everyone wants to play them. They're playing good golf. They're probably well play well. And one of the biggest mistakes I made early in doing this was trying to fade the chalkiest guys. It's like, those are guys that are playing well. You don't want to not roster any of those guys. Just make sure if you do play them, you find a way somewhere else in your lineup to make up for it. So, Sun JM, um, I, I think the way you described that strategy made plenty of sense. Sun JM certainly has upside in this field. So, I, I like that pick. Um, all right, I'm going to stick to my strategy. I'm going to stay to my guns here with my, with my second pick. I'm going to stick to value. I'm going to go with a guy who's been playing pretty good golf this season, and that's Ches Reeby, another mid-tier guy who I think has plenty of upside in this field. We've seen his upside in the last two months of, of what he can do. Um, it's chalky. It's a chalky start. I will find ways later on to get different and find my value plays with maybe up at the elite range where guys aren't playing, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the Gim Reeby start here. Um, yeah, I just to add to that really quickly, and it, it's an it's an interesting concept because obviously we're taking picks from each other. Um, everybody is, so it removes certain players from the pool. But like a Gim Reavy chalky start, if all of a sudden you throw a Cameron Young into the mix, well, all of a sudden you've already made that lineup different. Like the ability to not be able to take Young, and I'm sure you'll be able to find somebody else. It hurts in this sense of when we're doing a draft like this, and it does make lineups a little sometimes more chalky than we would care for them to be. But I, I agree with what you said. Just because a player's chalk doesn't mean that they're automatically out of the player pool. And I know I talk about that in a sense like I always mention how popular somebody is just because I think it's important to note. But it doesn't mean that they're not a playable commodity. You just have to be cognizant of how to get different in other spots. Exactly. And the other thing I do with guys that are chalky is Maybe I just want to be underweight. That doesn't mean I don't want to have any exposure, right? If somebody's looking like they're very chalky, maybe I just want to play them in 10% of my lineup so that if they come through, I still have some exposure, but it's not going to be, you know, all of my lineups, just a smaller percentage, just cover that for me. So plenty of different ways to kind of play the, the ownership strategy. Um, but audience, you're on the clock. It looks like you're starting to get your nominations in. Keep them rolling. You do have two here. And it looks like, oh, wow, you guys have been there. Looks like you have both in. Am I seeing that right? Can you guys confirm? Yeah, so it looks like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, the first pick is going to be Eric Cole. And the second pick, is it Bryce Garnett? I think it's Bryce Garnett. Listen, those are, to me, those are two, well, I'll start with Cole. I like Cole as the value play. Um, I think Cole is a solid value, but I think he's been playing well all year in this field. I actually thought he would have been priced up at least in the 8K range. So I think you're getting a good pick, a really good value here with Cole. Garnett, I wasn't on this week, to be honest. But, I mean, at 6500 you're certainly saving salary. What say you, David? Were you looking at Garnett at all? I was. I think he's real sneaky. Um, he's never finished worse than 31st here in four appearances, and that's always been in the typical kind of Bryce Garnett form or lack thereof that we see um, constantly. I mean, he can show up and perform at this course. He's really accurate. I think that's a benefit around here if you can avoid the water. Um, I have driving accuracy ranked higher than, than driving distance. I think if you're going to win the tournament, it's very helpful to be long and straight. But if you're looking for a guy who's got a potential not to miss the cut, then the accuracy is what you're really looking for. And I, I like that combination there for, um, for the team audience. I think it's a strong start. So it's funny you say that, David. I actually made, and it, the, I don't even think the show's been released yet, which is funny. Um, I actually made that same exact argument on an Action Network mm -hmm. show to where 
I think if you're talking about actually winning this contest, you need the distance. But if you're trying to find cut makers, then all of a sudden accuracy does show to be a more pronounced mm -hmm. statistic that you want to be leaning into. And uh, if I'm being honest here, kind of with the way that I was building this lineup, the way that I had it, Garnett was going to be the next selection I was going to make. Uh, I thought it was a real, and there's some popularity around him. Like I see five or 6% right now as a mid $6,000 play. I mean, I'm not saying that's overly chalky, but that's more than you typically get for a $6,000 golfer. That's kind of where I wanted to get my chalk with a guy like him that, as David said, he's been phenomenal at this tournament inside the top 31, I believe in all four appearances. I, it definitely makes this much more complicated now for how I want to make this build. And it goes back to what I was saying a second ago. You remove one player from a player pool and all of a sudden it just becomes trickier to make this build work for anybody. Especially when you start getting down to the 6K range. Or typically there's maybe only a, a one or two, maybe three guys that you're really looking to target down there. So when you start losing those guys, yeah, it really rough. does start, start to limit you for sure. Um, all right. I'm going to go to my third pick here. <laughs> I, I'm not getting any better in terms of ownership yet, but I have time. I have time. I'm going to go ahead and take Lucas Glover. Uh, the ball striking numbers with Glover are astronomical right now. So, again, another guy who's, you know, you're looking at mid-priced, who's ball striking the ball as well as anybody in the field. With Glover, you're worried about his putter. Um, you know, he's found some good putting weeks recently. If he continues to putt well, then the upside is to win the tournament. His, his results are there. And the biggest thing I learned recently and – kind of going back to the point I was making a minute a minute ago is you guys saw what was it not at the US Open or a couple majors ago I got like tied for fourth in the millionaire with because I had like 10 guys tied in my lineup because it was very chalky but listen chalk can win so I'm not going to just change that because those are the golfers I like I'm going to play the guys I like if that ends up being chalky it's chalky but the results come through so that's how I see it I'm not going to shy away I'll find, I'm going to try and get different later on but I like Lucas, Lucas Clever this week how about you, Spence? You looking at Glover at all? Um, my model likes Glover a lot. I, I guess more so with him of any name that I've said, this is the one that kind of concerns me about the ownership. Uh, I, I'm more inclined to be able to, you know, stomach the Revy and the Gim parts of it. I, I think I see about 20% right now. He is a highly volatile golfer that at any point can go south. And uh, that worries me. But I think from like an overall rank standpoint yeah he's a little bit underpriced which is why everybody's playing him I, I just think there's other players that i would rather play than him uh there's one name in particular that i don't think i can afford now now that uh garnett has been taken for me but that would be the pivot that i would have gone to all right well are you gonna take him because you're on the clock i mean i don't think i can i don't think i can physically afford him um you can spend Song Your Nose in the tournament, so um, you can you can dive back down to Song Your Nose at uh, a fairly low price if you want to balance it out. Yeah, that hasn't stopped me before. It's actually a it very enticing way to do it. Um, you know what? I'm go I'm not going to go this route. I'm probably going to regret it because I really wish I had this certain player on my team, and I'll be sure to mention him at the end. If you listen to any podcast I do this week, or if you read any article, this name has been just in every article, but I'm going to take a golfer that I just assume at this point, like David should own him in every single draft after interviewing him. I'm going to take Ryan Fox at 7,600. Um, really interesting thing with Fox that I don't think the public has necessarily caught up on with this point. He's a top legitimate top 40 player in the world. He doesn't get viewed that way in any market ever. And now all of a sudden, I think this is a fine field. I think there's a lot of positives about this tournament of the high-end marks of the people that are in it. But even still, like to me, Fox should have been more of a golfer that, I mean, if you told me he was in the high 8,000s, I think that's a better price from him than what we're getting. Um, the only real downside I had in my model is the TPC production wasn't necessarily what I wanted. But if we're talking about that upside to actually winning the contest, well, now this is the distance. This is the Cameron Champ route, the Matthew Wolf route, the Tony Finau route, where this distance can really play well for a golfer that was inside the top 11 of my model through all iterations of how I ran it. And because of the recent form that he's put together of all these top 43 finishes, or I guess top 52, if you want to look at the open year, but a lot of made cuts in a row. I mean, he's fifth in my model for safety. So I think there's a lot to like about him. And then it's fair. How about you, David? 
Um, I mean, look, at Ryan Fox is my countryman. I can never say a bad word about him ever. Um, but what I would say with Ryan Fox is a lot of models that are going to be based on driving accuracy are going to roll them out straight away. And so that's why I really like that play because unless you know that Ryan Fox loves hitting a two iron off the tee, that he's done it at previous tests before, he's been really good at courses that demand driving accuracy, it's because he's got that two iron in his bag that he's very, very happy and comfortable to go to um, off the tee all the time. And then you're going to get to the par fives and par fours and the guy can drive it 350 yards and um, and drive the green or reach the green in two. So I think he's a really, really sneaky play from that aspect. He's not going to pop in your models and that's that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. Uh, the other thing I want to add with, with Fox is he blew up on Thursday. He was seven over. Came all the way back, made the cut, had a really good week. So, you know, whatever happened Thursday was – Obviously, seemed more like an outlier, and then he played really good golf. He probably should have finished better had he not just had that seven over on Thursday. So I think his form might be in better shape than it probably looks based on the open finish. So again, love Fox. I think he's playing really well. I like that pick. All right, David, you got two here. Who are you looking at? I do, and I think that what I'm going to have to do here is go get some value i've got as as you guys do a ton of names at the top it's really difficult to separate from like a matsuyama and an aberg over who you prefer so um, i'm going to go to some of the the 6k guys that i like here so first one would be troy Merritt, and the second one would be ryan gerard and just touching on gerard being 23 years old he's um obviously new to the tour this season not many people have been going going to be going to him finished fifth last week at the barracuda which i don't think is the worst comp in terms of some of the approach metrics you're going to get but then he was also fourth earlier this year at the honda classic which we know has very strong links to this course here for um pga national so he finished fourth in, in a pretty decent field um there as well so i like some of the comps and i think it's going to going to suit him very well Boom there two really solid value plays are there one of those guys in your radar this week spence I like Gerard a lot. Um, Gerard will definitely be in my player pool. Um, I think Merritt is very likely to make my pool also. He's inside the top 50 for me in pretty much any way that I ran it. Um, I, I think when we're talking about value, you know, you obviously have to pick and choose your spots down here because there's only so many names, but like those are two of the better options according to my model. There you have it. All right, Spence, with your fourth pick, who are you looking at? All right, so technically, this would be the player for me that is the most mispriced on the board. Bryce Garnett would have been the second name. I'm going to go to this golfer instead. I just want to make sure I can find what that leaves me with money-wise. Um, all right, so I'm going to take Kevin Roy at 6400 You know, I, I keep talking about this ability to find a ball striker that all of a sudden you get an enhancement there because of the reduction that you find in the around the green presence that takes place. Roy ranks 17th in my model this week for both weighted scoring and ball striking. I think if you're looking at him in like a placement market also, four to one for him was highly enticing as a top 40 bet if you are trying to throw a dart here down the board. But I have to open up salary, like in my opinion, at some point to make this work well. I really would have liked to have gone the Bryce Garnett and um, uh, Kevin Roy route here. But, you know, with the inability to do so, I think adding one will still be able to allow me to figure this out in a way that makes like some sort of logical sense. I, I, I get it. I, I think, uh, especially in where you're at looking for value, I can definitely get behind that pick. How about you, David? Yeah, I think um, Kevin Roy is going to be a little bit sneaky. Um, Honda Classic earlier this year, he was 29th, but that came off the back of four missed cuts in a row. So obviously um, moving to that sort of course, which has a lot of water in play, driving accuracy and driving distance as a combination makes a big difference um, for me as well on Kevin Roy. So I think he's um, sneaky, probably one of the better in that that price range if you do find yourself in Spencer's shoes having to, to dive um, deep into the dumpster down in the 6400 range. There you have it. There you have it. All right. So I'm going to play a little defensive drafting here, seeing the audience has some salary. So I'm going to beat them to this next pick. If they were going to go here, I'm going to take a Deki Matsuyama. Um, I think of my options left, he's the best player on the board. 
I actually had to make the same. I think he's going to win the tournament this week. I think this is a week where Hideki can step up and get a win. It kind of feels like one of those weeks where, like, you know, Hideki every year kind of has that one random tournament where he plays really well and all of a sudden comes out and wins. This feels like it could be it. It's a watered-down field. Um, he's definitely one of the more elite talents here. I'm happy to – I'm fine with paying 10K to, 10K to get him on my roster. And from an ownership perspective, I should now start to be able to help myself a little bit in terms of – I mean – He's not, I'm not going to say, he's not, he's not chalky. I guess he's not necessarily low-owned. I would probably put him middle of the pack at this point, but I think I'm heading in the right direction in terms of um, balancing out my roster here. How about you, Spence? Are you, are you on Hideki at all this week? I, I am fine playing Hideki. I, I think I'm fine playing everybody for the most part 9,000 and up if you can figure out a logistical way to make it work in different capacities here. I'm going to be very aggressive with Cameron Young and Sung JM. Uh, so that means I will be lower just naturally on Hideki. But I, I think in like specifically the spot that you're in right now, uh, he would have been one of the two names that I would have most highly considered. Um, if the other name goes off the board, I'll mention who it is. But I, I think Hideki makes a lot of sense in your spot right now. All right. Well, hold that thought. We'll get back to you on it. Um, audience, good job getting quick. Getting your, your nominations in, you do have to – I can confirm the first one is in. As it looks like the first one is – is it Hoygaard? Uh, Ludwig, I think. Or is it Ludwig? L- Lud- Ludwig is the other one. that like that I would have considered him. So, I mean, that got yeah. like – very quickly mentioned. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's what it is. It's Ludwig, and yeah, those those are the two. It's, so you guys are getting. I think those are two solid picks that you guys got here. Um, both guys are kind of up and comers right now on the tour. Both guys have been playing well. I think it's the right strategy in a tournament like this, taking guys who are trending, up and comers. Um, at least for for Hoygaard, the, the salary is right. I think for a value play under 8K, I I really like that pick. What say you, David? Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to look at his last two performances, 23rd at the Open, 6th at the, the Scottish Open. Just bear in mind that those are two pretty different courses to, to what you're going to find here. Um, we're back to sort of like the stereotypical PGA TPC course where it's like hit your distance and um, kind of track man golf, right? Like at every TPC course. And Hoygaard's very, very good on those links courses. So I appreciate the form he's coming in at. I'd have a slight concern maybe with his um, driving accuracy here. I think there's inevitably going to be a couple of bo- double bogeys on his card when he um, eventually finds the water. Fair enough. And I would... I would agree. That is definitely the concern for him this week where there's, there's definitely trouble looming. But if he can avoid it, he could have a really good week, but that, that will be tough over four days. Um, I, 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 I like both of those picks a lot. I agree with David's answer that obviously there are concerns with his driving accuracy. With We're talking about Hoygaard here that you have to at least look into. But, um, you know, I ran this in a way where I was trying to find upside in my model. So it's essentially a 60, 40 split that took distance over accuracy. So I'm a little bit heavier on the distance side. And then I threw in this little mix to my model that gives me a different answer. He was inside the top 10 for me in total driving. I do know historically at these venues that have water, he has not been great. I think he's going to perform this week though. And uh, like Aberg to me is just an all time talent early on in his career with the driver right now, it's, he's almost like, you know, I mean, this is a big statement to make. He's almost like Rory esque with the way that he's able to hit this ball off the tee. So uh, I am very intrigued about both of these guys at this event. And I think both have like legitimate win equity here. Boom. Audience going for the repeat. I like it. I like it. All right. I'm going to go ahead here. I'm going to take a guy who, if you guys remember, this was one of my favorite value plays early in the season. I would take him a lot. His price has come all the way up. I mean, I get it. It's a watered-down tournament, but um, he's not a sneaky play anymore, but he's in great form, and it's Steven Yeager. I think this is a week where Steven Yeager can show up and post a really great result. The form is there. One of my biggest concerns with Yeager was also been his putter. Can he make putts consistently to win a tournament? That has shown a lot of improvement, especially recently. If he finds a consistent putter and continues with his hot ball striking, 
Steven Yeager is going to win a tournament, and this is the type of tournament he'll probably win. A little bit watered down, where he can come up and his ball striking will make a difference in this field. At 9,100, it's a little more than I want to pay for him, but uh, but I'm going to go ahead and pay. I, I think he's worth the risk here. How about you, Spence? Are you looking at Yeager at all? I think it's a fair price for him. Um, he's been a golfer this entire season that I've liked more than consensus. And I think in this particular field at this 9,100 price, you're probably getting fair value on the number with an ownership percentage that's going to be a little bit lower because people do think the number is, is marginally too high or maybe much too high to some people. But a uh, great ball striker where if you think there's a reduction with the short game in any capacity, Jaeger makes a lot of sense. There you have it. I appreciate it. Spence, all right, you're on you. You're on, Back to you. You're on the clock here with your fifth pick. 7,400 left per pick. Who are you looking at? So I was actually going to take Nikolai Hoygaard with this pick. So that's the second time now that the audience has sniped me on a pick. And um, I, I like the way that their lineup's going at this point. I had absolutely no plan to do this. And I kind of feel gross doing it because I, I almost just want to take Tom Hoagie um, because my model almost has like, I think he's a better pivot selection here, but I guess I'm just going to eat the chalk and take Austin Eckrote at 7,500. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think he's going to be in my DFS player pool. Uh, that's a really weird answer to give for a player that I'm taking in the draft, but I can't necessarily say I love a lot of those routes. Like I wish I could have afforded Taylor Pendrith for the route I wanted to go. Can't get to him. Um, now if with the little switch that I've decided to make here, you know, you kind of just have to sometimes just eat the chalk and go with it. Um, don't love the way that it looks in my lineup right now, but uh, it's fine. You really sound really confident in that pick. <laughs> the thing is, I think he's a good pick. I think he's a terrible. I, I don't want a twenty percent on Austin Eckrode in a DFS lineup. Um, I just don't think it makes logical sense. I think there's way too much hype around him. The positive note is he is a top twenty player inside of my model. He's technically the highest rated player that I have that I can make at this point, and I have a lot of pivots. In Young, Sung J. Fox, Kevin Roy. I do think in this particular build, if I'm going to play Ekro, like this would be the one scenario that I could get to him. Um, but I'm not looking, I'm not actively looking to try to put him into a player pool right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. David, you got two here. But before you go, um, are you going to be playing any of Austin Ekro? I mean, I'd, I'd go to your, your very good point that you made early in the show, Joel, that that chalk in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's how you play and how you distribute the chalk. And I think that the way that Spencer's built his lineup, he's got pivots elsewhere, like who's going to be playing Kevin Roy? Hardly anyone. So the the issue comes if, if you play a lineup that's all chalk, no, you don't want to be doing that. But if you've got like three or four chalky guys, that's absolutely fine as long as you're getting different in some spots. So I think that's the same way that I'd be deploying Necro. He's got the ability to go out and finish top 10 in this tournament. Absolutely. I'm just not going to be putting him in a, in a lineup with a bunch of other guys who are also going to be over 20%. Yeah, I think I think that that's fair. That makes sense. I mean, I I understand your hesitations with Ekro, but the results have been there. He certainly has upside. We've seen it from him at seventy five hundred in a watered down field. Um, it's a risk, but I, I get it. I, I think it's, it's certainly a fair risk to take. All right, David, you're up here with two. Who are you looking at? Well, my first pick will be the player who, over the last three months in the entire world, is seventh for strokes gained on approach. And it's Mark Hubbard. Mark Hubbard is seventh over the last three months in the world for approach, which just absolutely blows my mind. Highly, highly accurate um, off the tee as well. I think he's um, got, a, got a cut in him at least, um, but potential to get into the top 20 if he keeps ball striking the way he has really since April, like since the RBC Heritage. He's been striking the ball so, so well. Um, excellent result here um, in 2021. He finished 16th, and his record at the Honda Classic is very good as well. So he's got a, a 15th there and an 11th back in 2020. So um, coming in in very, very good form. And then my final one, I will look for um, just to add a little bit more upside to my lineup as well and look for another tournament winner. Um, plenty of money left on the table as well. So I'll take 
Cam Davis, the Aussie long-hitting can be a little bit inaccurate, but again, we've seen him perform really well at these sort of tracks where you do need to be accurate off the tee, like RBC Heritage, he's got a fantastic record. And again, it just goes to his ability to be able to club down um, in spots when he has to. And his his record here kind of speaks to that. He's got 16th and a 12th in his last, uh, 16th, 28th and 12th in his last three appearances here. He's had an eighth at the Honda Classic as well, which is another course that's um, that's fraught with danger. So um, he's definitely got the upside to go out and um, get some eagles get some birdies and um, finish in the top five. It's funny because we've said this on this show multiple times, but Cam Davis, like it's almost like he can't help himself. It's like he needs the course to tell him to club down. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you got to club down. I'll take out the driver. And then when he does it, he plays great. Uh, mm-hmm. But when he feels like he needs to use his driver is where he gets himself into trouble time and time again. So I'm with you. I think this course could make a lot of sense for him. And uh, he's someone that, that's, that that is on my radar for this week as well. How about you, Spence? I like Cameron Davis's upside, and I think we've talked about it on the show a lot. Also, just these club down spots for him have always been better. So, uh, if you're shooting for upside, I think there's a lot of players in that we'll call it low nine thousand to like the mid eight thousands, where I think there's legitimate names that are going to be able to be used as pivot plays from some of the more popular options that have a ton of upside to them. And Cameron Davis is one of those names. I I only see him at like twelve and a half, thirteen percent right now. I think that's a really good ownership percentage for the upside that he does bring. Yeah, I think I think that certainly makes sense. All right, Spence, with your last pick, how are you wrapping up this squad? So I, I am, to be honest, ready to just give the audience the win if they make the final pick that I'm hoping that they make at this point. I don't know if they will, but uh, not being able to afford that, I'm going to go with Chalk one more time to end this, and I'm going to take Kevin Yu at 7,100. Um, if I don't regress the numbers in my sheet and I just allow this to play with the limited sample size that I have, you grades as the number one player in my model in strokes gained off the tee. He's also first in GIR plus weighted proximity. The floor isn't going to be perfect for, you know, head to head markets or even, you know, for some of these bets or DFS plays that we want to talk about. But I just think the ceiling's really high for him to possess upside to actually compete in this tournament. And I've made this argument quite a few times over the past, you know, month of him being back on tour here. If he didn't suffer a meniscus tear during the middle of the season, I legitimately think at this tournament right now, he's probably like an 8,000 plus golfer. That's like 50 to one to win the contest. But because all of a sudden, you know, we didn't see him for half the year. And now you've kind of gotten this mixed bag with him to start where, uh, the ownership's going to be there, but the results have kind of been hit and miss at the beginning here. You don't necessarily get that at 7,100, but I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him this week. I am going to eat the chalk on him, and as he moves into the fall, I'm really curious to see where he he gets with some of these numbers because I, I think he's a golfer that during the fall season can win an event. It, it, maybe he wins this week, but I think specifically during the fall, there may be a couple good spots for him. I love it. I, I'm with you. I think he's trending in the right direction. He's a guy right now that, as a value play, would certainly be on my radar. So I can definitely get behind that pick, especially at 7,100. Um, all right, I'm going to wrap my team up with some mega chalk. So, uh, it's the pick. The, the 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 salary left makes sense. He's a guy I wanted. I intentionally waited um, to here to take him because I figured if he got taken, I could pivot, take someone less chalky. But he didn't get taken. So I'm going to go ahead and take Aaron Rye. Uh, He's been playing great. His ball striking has been phenomenal. Uh, I I thought he would have been in the AK range. He's also been gaining with his putter, which is a rarity from Rye. But since June, he's he's flashed a pretty solid putter. If he can continue that putting consistency, I love Aaron Rye this week. So um, at 7,900, I'm pretty happy with the way my squad came out here. Um, Audience... You are up with your last pick. I think we all know who you're going to take, It's and it's a good pick. Um, I think Steven already nominated him in Adam Hadwin. I, too, I would be taking here at this point. There it is, the, the second nomination's in. Uh, I think the audience also has a very solid team here. Um, what say you, Spence? What, do you have any thoughts on Rye this week? And, and what are your – it was Hadwin the guy you thought the audience was going to take. It's the guy I thought the audience was going to take. It's not the guy that I would have taken. I like Adam Hadwin. I think it's a perfectly acceptable pick. I have no issues with that. Uh, And I'm going to eat the chalk 
potentially with Aaron Rye this week. I do think that the best way to play him was probably when he opened in the 50-55 to 1 mark in the outright market. I've seen that number move down a little bit at some books, but I, I, I like his profile here. Now, now that the draft's over, I'm going to say this. I think one of the best plays on the board, and I know I've walked down this line one too many times where I'm almost like the boy who cried wolf with this player and it never works out. I think Keith Mitchell is in fun. I, I, there were, there, there was a capacity that I could have done this where Keith Mitchell, like if I was just going to say balls to the wall, go crazy with this and kind of just make a lineup that I didn't care about ownership or where anybody was going off the board. I could have taken him number one overall and been fine with it. Like I really like him this week. Uh, I'm disappointed that nobody took him. I ended up not being able to afford him once Bryce Garnett went off the board. So that's where this whole draft changed for me. I pivoted to Fox at that point to make it different. Like Fox a lot. Don't have a problem with doing that. But I think Keith Mitchell, when we're just talking about the upside that he possesses, and you know, you got to remember at the Scottish Open, like my model likes to recreate these leaderboards with the baseline stats that you can throw out from the more volatile short game metrics. He gained 6.74 strokes ball striking. My model thought he should have been inside the top five of the leaderboard when taking his projected baseline in the short game stats. Instead, he lost 6.83 shots with his short game there. He ends up missing the weekend. He doesn't even know at the time that he's not qualified for the Open Championship. He thinks he's going to be there. Doesn't get into that tournament. Has to book a flight back to the United States. Play in some stable third scoring contest that I'm sure he doesn't want to be at that week. Misses the cut again. I just think he's so slept on on the market right now to where uh, he was the very first bet that I made at 40 to one. You can also get him at 55 to one now if like there's better prices out there. But uh, Keith Mitchell is kind of the guy for me that I'm going to be very aggressive on this week. Interesting. Wow. Very aggressive. And you don't hear Spencer throw that around too often. Um, what's a you, David? Are you on Mitchell and any take on these final two picks? I mean, I, I laughed as soon as Spencer started that because I knew he was going to say Keith Mitchell um, for that. And for me, it's like you can get Keith Mitchell at half the ownership of Adam Hadwin, and I just think that you're getting infinitely more upside. Um, and, yeah, a lot of people are going to look at it and be like, you know, he missed the cut at the Barracuda. Well, like the Barracuda is like this weird tournament with like like a varied scoring structure to what we typically see. Like I'm not going to hold it against a guy if he goes out and misses the cut and like kind of this weird tournament. What I do like with him is that he's won the Honda Classic before. He's finished ninth there before and he was fifth here in 2021. So um, great performances at concourses. Um, and obviously here as well. And it looks like the approach play starting to turn around to, to back to what we're used to. Um, gains heats off the tee. That would have been my preferred route as well. I would have gone Mitchell over the heaven. I love it. I love it. Well, there you have it. There is the draft. Uh, let us know what lineup you like. While you're at it, hit the like button. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. We're not done yet. As I said, we're going to post these lines before the week gets off. Let us know who you like. We'll track them at the end of the week. But we still have our first round leaders. It's where we make our money. We apologize. C is not here to give us the hammer lock of the week in terms of the sure thing leader. But we'll still give you some pretty good plays that we like. We'll start with you, David. Who are you looking at in the first round leader market this week? Um, yeah, so again, I'm going to be going morning as per usual with the, the tea times. It does look calmer in the morning. My only concern would be that this course has not had a lot of rain um, recently in the last few months. And we know that the greens can get very, very, very speedy and um, they can get fast. There might be some thunderstorms that come in. There might be a bit of rain comes in. So just keep an eye on the forecast leading into the tournament because I, I worry that perhaps that the the course gets some rain and then the afternoon wave somehow ends up picking up the, the first round leader. But um, at the moment, as the weather currently stands, morning tea times for me, which would be Hideki Matsuyama at 30 to 1, Sepp Straka, who we know can just pop um, at any time for, for one insane round. You can get him at 33 to 1. And then I like Mark Hubbard at 55 to 1 as well. I love it. I love it. I got four plays for you for my first round leaders. I'm going to start you off with my, my Hail Mary, my long shot, and that's going to be Callum Tarrant. I know I give him a lot. He's gotten close a few times. You're getting him at 90-1 to 1 here. This feels like a spot where he could finally get one. It's a little bit of a weaker field, a good ball striking day out of him and making some putts. He certainly has some upside. 
A couple guys here at 60 to 1 I like as well, starting with Eric Cole, who we've seen flash a few really hot rounds already this year. Um, and also the guy I drafted in Aaron Rye, who um, has shown also the pop in the first round, get off to an early start, a hot start in some of these tournaments. Um, my final play, it's going to be the favorite, Cameron Young at 30 to 1. He's another guy that tends to, to play strong in the first round. Uh, come out hot. So a 30 to 1, I think, is still a big enough number to roll the dice on. All right, Spence, how about you? Who are you looking at here in the first round of the market? So I thought David brought up an interesting point. Just obviously all of us are typically in agreement that the morning wave is going to be better in most golf tournaments, and it's going to get hot, it looks like, right now on the weather forecast, and it, that bakes out the greens. It's going to make it more difficult. Just in case something weird came into play, I also took Aaron Rye at 60 to 1. I think he's a golfer that can get hot in the right spot. And then I went to two morning guys in Ryan Fox at 60 to one and Keith Mitchell at 55 to one. I love it. I love it. One guy just looked at the board. I'm surprised didn't even get mentioned once on this show. Just want to say his name, Nate Lashley playing well, uh, lower down the board guy, but he's a guy I think this is a tournament he could have a, a good week on. Anyone else that we missed or didn't get mentioned in the show that you guys wanted to bring up before we wrap up tonight? I mean, can we have the Justin Thomas conversation? <laughs> like, because nobody is talking about Justin Thomas. And I mean, if Justin Thomas just suddenly came out and finished like second, are we going to be surprised? Like, he has, he has the talent, right? Like, he can go and do that. Yes, I know he's in dreadful form. Yes, he's going to be annoyed with how he's played. But, I mean, he's 75th in the, the FedEx Cup rankings at the moment. Like, he has to play well if he wants to make the playoffs. He has to play well if he wants to make the, the Ryder Cup team. So I certainly will be playing some Justin Thomas. I will have some exposure. I think if you rule him out completely, um, that you're taking a huge, huge gamble. I think you're, the point you're making is a great example of that ownership conversation we were having before, where it's like, you know Justin Thomas has the talent to do really well here. His form has been terrible. Uh, but the ownership is so low where it's like, he's the type of guy where if you have a really chalky lineup elsewhere, you throw him in there, you know he has the upside, he can do it, and he helps you with that ownership at, I mean, what is he looking at now, like 5 or 6%, which is super low in this tournament. So I totally agree. It's how you plan. I wouldn't go too overweight because he can't use the play that he could ruin your week, but... Definitely having some exposure makes sense, especially in these big GPPs. How about you, Spence? I think Thomas is the epitome of a high ceiling, low floor play. And anytime that you can get it at 5% or these sub 5% numbers, specifically with a guy like Thomas that has legitimate win equity throughout his career, I think he's worth a dart throw. I, I, I agree with David. Like, I would not be removing him entirely. Uh, it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to get yourself massively overweight or 2x overweight on it. I think if you're just playing him, you know, in that like six, seven, eight percent plus range, if you're building 150 lineups, um, it, it makes a lot of sense there because the upside is is very high. I, I guess for as far as other players are concerned, though, I feel like most of the chalk kind of got picked. Um, I mean, the only name that I that didn't get picked, and I saw him in the chat quite a bit, would be Vincent Norman. Um, He's going to be very popular, but I, I don't necessarily see too many names that didn't get selected this week. Well, there you have it. I think it should be a fun tournament. I think from my perspective, I'm able to narrow my player pool down um, to having a, a smaller set of guys that I can rely on that I want to go to this week, which to me is a good thing. I mean, I'm more dialed in on, on the guys I'm targeting. So I think it's a fun week from a DFS perspective to get after. Certainly much different from a major, but that's totally okay. So plenty of opportunities to go out there and get some wins. That's it for us tonight. Don't forget, follow us uh, on Twitter. Hit the like button. Get into Discord. We're going to post our outrights. We're going to post some weather updates throughout the week. We'll post some plays for you to get after. Good luck this week. And, of course, it's For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.